You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Would you continue with me in prayer? Father, we thank you, God, for the privilege of being together, and uh, we have sought to worship you already, and we seek to continue. Sometimes when we sing the songs that we're singing that others have written, they reflect exactly the experience and the heart that we want to share with you of worship. Sometimes they're words that more express the longings of our heart, knowing that they're, we're, not, um, we're not there, and we're praying as we sing them that we would be led there by your Spirit, strengthened to worship you. And then sometimes we, we sing songs and hymns that, that we have to maybe stop singing in order to truly worship because they reflect an experience that we have to reflect on, we have to think about. And uh, so, Lord, thank you that you've aided us in so many ways. Besides your word and the fellowship of other believers, we have poetry and music and song and uh, we thank you Lord for the expressions of worship and Lord our, our, our desire this morning is that that our hearts and our minds would be in tune with you that as we just sung we would love you with our heart and soul and strength and mind and uh, so help us to do that Lord we would lay all of our requests before you all of the needs the things that weigh heavy on our hearts, we lay them at your feet. And that believing that even, even in the middle of worship with songs that others, others have written, even in the middle of the preaching of your word, and uh, even in the middle of, of uh, having a meal with someone afterwards, you, oh God, are present and you can speak. And so bless us, Lord, and we anticipate that you will be meeting us today and leading us. In Jesus' name, amen. I began my pastoral ministry in the summer of 1981 at the age of eight. Uh, uh, some of you are going to do the math right now and you're going to... 81. Uh, it was near Dryden, Ontario, a place called Eagle River. And uh, uh, I was their first full-time pastor. Uh, at the time when they called me, there was about 20 believers that took a step of faith and, and uh, God led us and God gave us growth. Uh, and we praised the Lord for what we saw at Eagle River. Uh, the summer attendance would swell because of the American tourists that came and uh, the abundance of uh, fishermen and cottagers. And uh, those, were, those were great days uh, we had vacation Bible schools, and, and we had potluck lunches, and we had uh, evening meetings and fishing trips and hospitality like I'd seldom tasted of. And, and uh, one of the memories of my time in those years uh, was the hymn sings that we would have. And whenever we did it, we would just simply 
have people call out a number and uh, then Helen Bartels would go to the piano which was on my right and she would strike up a chord and get us ready and sometimes Lily Shields was ready on the pump organ and she was ready to uh, do that and, and lead with Helen and we would all chime in after someone called out the number and invariably the number that was called was 264 and invariably, the person that called it out was Howard Dorshelm, a cottager from Cicero, Illinois, that loved that hymn among all hymns. And you want to know what that hymn was, don't you? <laughs> In the garden, I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear the Son of God discloses. And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other can ever know. He speaks, and the sound of His voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. And on and on it goes, talking about this incredible personal experience with God. Sometimes when I would sing it, I would pause and think, do I have a relationship with God like this guy did? The author is a guy by the name of C. Austin Miles, a pharmacist from near uh, Philadelphia, wrote the hymn in March of 1912. At the time, he was, he was meditating in his Bible on the resurrection morning. And he had come to the passage where Mary Magdalene lingered long after others had left the empty tomb and she waited in the garden. It's called in the garden. And he got caught up in the scripture so much, pondering what kind of a relationship Mary Magdalene had with Jesus when he met her there, spoke her name. And so out of that he, he wrote, Austin Miles wrote, the hymn in the garden, and the music. A song that's been a very important hymn in the hymn books of the last hundred years in our churches. The subject of that hymn is the theme of our message this morning. Does God speak to us? How does God speak to us? What does that sound like and what does it look like? Turn in your Bibles to First Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel and chapter 3. And if you would like to stand with me, please stand now and uh, I will read the word of God. Samuel chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God, God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. And then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his own eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. And he let nothing of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. May God bless his word. You may be seated. The first observation that I would like to make from this text is the context. It's very important that we see this was written during the period of the judges concluding, a time when everyone did what was fit in his own eyes to do, not thinking of God or others. It was also a time, as we know from chapters 1 and 2, that Eli's sons, the priests that were functioning in the tabernacle, were wicked and vile people, men. Verse 12 of that chapter says that, that they were sons of wickedness, Belial, which was an expression of evil, and, and they had no regard for the Lord. It, literally, they did not know the Lord, even as priests. And that is the context of chapter 3, verse 1, which is a key verse to understand the entire passage. It says, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Making us to understand that in Eli's day, God was not speaking much. It was a rare thing to hear from God. Even in the tabernacle where people went to hear from God, it was a rare thing to hear from God. Even with the priests who were supposed to be mediating what God would be saying, it was difficult to hear from God. Those were the days. And it was because of the wickedness of his people. 1 Samuel 2.30 those who honor me, I honor. Those who despise me will be disdained. Isaiah 65, verse 2. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. In this environment of spiritual silence and deafness, for the word of the Lord was rare, and in spiritual blindness and darkness, for there were not many visions, God speaks and a light shines. A voice is heard. It's critical to our understanding this passage because 
it applies to what is going on in the rest of the passage. We must ask ourselves in our age, what is resembling Canada? And, and what of the passage in this scripture resembles Canada? And what, what about the priests in the tabernacle resembles the church in Canada today? And what of listening and heeding God in, in, in Samuel's time resembles the people of God today as well? We must apply it this way. And so as we think about it, we need to be pondering what does it mean to be a people who shine in the darkness, a people who hear God speaking and leading us in this generation, a people who's, who have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches as is repeated countless times in Revelation t- chapters 2 and 3, a people who have vision to know where God is leading us. I want to just take a moment and say that, I believe, is really a key piece of homework that God is giving White Ridge Baptist Church in 2015. That if there is a lesson that is heavy upon the leadership of our church at this hour of our existence, it is we must know God's leading. We must know how to follow the voice of God into the coming year. And particularly as God has hemmed us in, so to speak, by leading us into yet another time of looking at building a a new building on McGilvery. He has us on a course of action that must end in knowing God's will and in following it, whatever that looks like, whatever the cost, whichever way it goes. And and as best as we can, the leadership of our church is saying, this is the way we think that the Lord is leading us, and we're going to go in that direction until together, collectively, God shows us otherwise. And to that end, we are going to be planning various meetings and times of prayer and communication this year. And the first two you've heard about already, this next Sunday at 6.30 in the evening, please come. And listen to the annual reports and listen to the updates of what the building committee and the capital funds team and the prayer team are talking about. And be part, be engaged as to what you think God is doing. And the following week on February 1st, come in the evening and join us for that meal when you will also be sitting at the table with other leaders from our church that are also in the queue, in, in, in the know on what's going on, and listen to what they have to share, but more importantly, speak to them because they want to listen to you. We want to hear what God is saying through his people, the body of Christ. And so please take note of that. There are four things I'd like to share this morning from this scripture. They're principles that we take from 1 Samuel chapter 3, and we want us to understand what it is that this applies to us for now. In his book called Battle for the Soul of Canada, an Anglican clergy from Vancouver, Ed Hurd, writes that he is convinced that Christian values lie at the very foundation of our nation and that the key to renewing the soul of Canada is to see a new generation of Timothys raised up. Young men and women of God that have such a zeal for God to hear from him 
and know his leading and follow him regardless of the cost. That is what God is doing in this scripture. God in Samuel is raising up in the darkness and the silence spiritually of that generation through the judges a young man who is saturating himself with God in the temple and is ready to listen to God and speak God's word and follow hard after God. And that's what Canada needs today. And that's what our churches need today as well. And so notice in the scripture how very many times that Samuel is described as living in the very presence of God. Chapter 2, verse 11, it says he ministered before the Lord. This little boy, he ministered before the Lord. Verse 18, he ministered before the Lord. You see, what, what Samuel, what the author is doing here is that he's describing some of the darkness and then he goes right back to this juxtaposition of Samuel, the boy, in the presence of God. Chapter 2, verse 21, he grew up in the presence of the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 26, he grew in, in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Sounds like Luke 2.52 talking about Jesus, doesn't it? Chapter 3, verse 1 that we just read, he ministered before the Lord. You see, this, there's this backdrop of darkness. And then there's this incredible light that comes because God is raising up a man of God, a prophet of God. In chapter 3, the setting that we read about is at nighttime at Shiloh in the tabernacle. And Eli, who is an already an old man, is going blind and he has gone off to his bedroom to sleep. Samuel, the boy, is in the sanctuary where the Ark of the Covenant is and where the lamp of God has not yet gone out. Do not skip over quickly, verse 2, as though these are inconsequential details, that this man is almost blind. And then the very next statement is, the lamp of God has not yet gone out. Because you see what the author is doing, even as we saw last week, when we talked last week about this woman, Hannah, who is barren, he is using the physical setting as a spiritual, a commentary on the spiritual setting. And even as Hannah is barren and can no longer have children or cannot have children, it was a commentary on Israel that was spiritually barren. And even today, even in this passage, as We read about the priest Eli who is blind, physically blind. Israel was almost physically or spiritually blind as well. That's the intent of the author in this scripture as he shares it this way. And we see in this passage of scripture this interesting comment about sight. Chapter 2 verse 17, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. Chapter 2, 33, every one of you I do not cut off will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears. 3, 17 uh, and verse 18, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. There's a lot of reference to eyesight, seeing, following God. It must have been difficult for this old priest Eli who had not heard the word of the Lord much in his lifetime perhaps to, to hear that that this young boy Samuel was hearing from God. And in Isaiah 66, 2, it says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. 
James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus said in Matthew 5.8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so we see that not only was God, Samuel, God's chosen instrument, but he was God's chosen instrument and able to be led by God because he postured himself and placed himself in the presence of God and was therefore ready to listen to the voice of God. And that was the whole point of the priesthood, you see. The whole point of the priesthood was that the holy God of Israel wanted to come down and dwell among his people. But that people was a wicked and vile people. And they were not listening, they were not heeding, they were not following God. And so there was this incredible need for those things and people within the tabernacle and the whole sacrificial system that they be absolutely set apart and holy And yet, the very ones who had been entrusted, Eli and his family, were forsaking that and corruption had entered the house of God. And then God raised up Samuel and a reverence for God was reignited in that generation. For us today, dwelling in the presence of God is absolutely essential to being led by God. We must know that the fullness of God's presence in this generation that we live in, in this church age, is something that we can enjoy because of the fact that God no longer lives in temples built by hands, but rather in human people, uh, people that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. We are the temple of the living God, is taught. And as Jesus is about to leave the earth, the last teaching that he gives us is on the teaching of the Holy Spirit who would live in every believer, intimately associating Jesus with each one of us. Not limited by geographical space and time. And Jesus in teaching is using a metaphor in John 15 of the vine and the branches, the abiding, the dwelling, the dwelling of a branch into a vine and so intimately connected. And out of that relationship of fruitfulness, comes this incredible statement in John 15, verse 15, where it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from the Father I've made known to you. Incredible. Describing this intimacy that Jesus considers us friends and that because of that, he he makes known to us, by His Holy Spirit, the, the promptings of His ways, the purposes He has, the things He wants us to decide upon. It should not be surprising to us that the goal of Jesus in sending His Holy Spirit to dwell in each believer is a more intimate communion. That's what it's all about. He is trying to reflect the very kind of relationship that the disciples had with Jesus when He walked the earth. And so in John 16, verse 15, again, speaking of the Spirit, he says, the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. That's what the normal Christian life looks like. The Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So I think the first lesson that we learn from Samuel in this passage is that we should be earnest about living our lives in the presence of God being so intent upon 
on, on listening to God because we're living in his presence. Our first job of every day is to settle our heart down so that we can actually be conscious that I am in the presence of God. Many voices, many distractions, many things that will argue for my time every morning when I open my eyes, but the first thing, the first business of the day is to get my heart quiet before God, to know His presence moment by moment, a God consciousness, because He calls you friend. Psalm 91 verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. He who dwells will rest. It's a conditional promise. A second thing, and the first is a prerequisite to it, I believe. The second thing we learn principle-wise from Samuel is that we learn to discern the voice of God by, by making some errors and practicing And so on. Samuel learned to discern God's voice because he was dwelling in God's presence daily. That's important, key. But when the time came for God to make himself experientially, personally known to Samuel in an intimate way and speak his name, Samuel did not know how to hear that voice. Did not come naturally. Verse 7, it says he did not know the Lord yet, which in my understanding means that He did not have an experiential knowledge like that of hearing God speak. In verses 4 and 5, when the Lord calls Samuel for the first time, he doesn't recognize it. He runs to Eli. Eli says, it's not me calling you. Go back to bed. Three times until Eli finally clues in, well, maybe, maybe this is what God does when he calls your name. And so he says, when you hear it next time, say, speak, for your servant is listening If we apply this scripture to us today, a spiritual principle can be understood to help us from being misguided on hearing from God. The principle is simply that in order to discern the voice of God, you must spend time in the presence of God, and that in doing so, you you learn what is His leading and what is not His leading. Like a a sheep that spends time in the, the presence of the shepherd and just knows His voice. Or like I spoke of with Bonnie Thole this past week, uh, I met her dog, her son's dog one time, a blind dog. And it was just uncanny how that dog followed his master's voice all around the room because he knew the voice after having been practicing it and listening. Now I believe that Samuel in the temple heard the audible voice of God. When he heard him calling him. And I believe that in verse 10, God literally stood over him. I'm not sure what it must have looked like, but some appearance of the divine manifestation was with Samuel. And we must distinguish between what Samuel experienced and what we experience. When Samuel heard God call and then received a prophecy that became part of this book, the Holy Scriptures. Some of what God spoke to Samuel in those days are in this Bible. We must understand that's not going to happen to us. For God 
ordained that in history there was going to be given through God's people all the way leading up to the time of Christ and then immediately after in that apostolic age there was going to be given to us a deposit of historical forever truth that was like a yardstick to guide us as to what was right and what was wrong. And by that revelation that God gave through his apostles and prophets, we have a measuring stick to measure all other revelation, all other ways that God will speak throughout the church age until Jesus comes again. And so we read the scriptures and we do not presume upon uh, understanding God the way Samuel definitely understood God or spoke for God. So it would be dangerous to say that audible voices from God are the norm for Christians today. Yet, neither do we say that God could not do so if he chose to. You see, the danger is twofold, and we could fall off either side of the fence. And Christians are divided on both sides of the fence. Because the the real issue is this, that either we end up attributing to God something that is of absolute human origin, or we attribute to humans something that is of absolute God origin, divine origin. And in both cases, friends, God is offended. So we are on holy ground when we think about visions and dreams and prophecies and words of knowledge and tongues and interpretations of tongues and all the ways that scriptures talk about how God makes himself known. Very holy ground. Now, part of the reason why I say it's not the normal Christian experience to hear God speak audibly is not just because I don't have that experience, but because In the church age that he has given us, now he has given us of his spirit, and his spirit dwells within us. He doesn't need to speak through the ear if he lives within the believer. I have an intimate relationship with God by the Holy Spirit, and I I don't hear God speak audibly, but I can say that I, I can sense strongly the impressions of the Holy Spirit leading me. I can sense his closeness, his intimacy, and I can see in providential circumstance how he leads in answered prayer. I can see how the scriptures bear witness and direct me personally in in the understanding of what he's saying. If someone does believe that they have heard the voice of God audibly, I would not argue, but I would say this to them. I would say, be sure Be sure that you are saturating yourself daily in the word of God because it is the primary way that God speaks. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Romans 12.2, We're transformed by the renewing of our minds and after the renewing of our minds, then we can test and approve what God's will is. The renewing of our minds primarily takes place because we listen to what God says in his word. Every major decision in my life or in the life that Pat and I have had as a married couple, every major decision in our lives has been accompanied with a verse of Scripture. If you want to hear about them all sometime, we can sit down and talk. Literally every every decision, that's the way God leads us. 
It's also been accompanied by incredible times of prayer and independent sometimes confirmation through the presence and purposes of God. Just speaking a word through people unknowingly, unwittingly confirming what the Lord is saying to us to do in a situation. And so we need to listen. We need to be in the presence of God. So many times in Scripture, we read the warning in the New Testament, let everything be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Why is that? It's because individually we can get it wrong. We can get it wrong. And so anything that is in contradiction or in opposition to the Scriptures is not from God. And so we need to be careful. We talk to people, I've talked to people who say, I, I got a word from the Lord. Or they say, God spoke to me this morning and he said this. And I want to, I cringe a little bit. I want to be careful that I'm not giving God something that maybe didn't come directly from God. And so we, we always be careful. We, we are not infallible recipients, listeners, discerners. We have to be careful what we attribute to who. And, and, that, and that works both ways. Before I was married, I remember a, a man, a Christian man that I met, um, go through his town near Thunder Bay uh, every year a couple times, driving through, I'd stop in, maybe talk, fellowship. I'd met his daughter once. She was my age. I met his daughter once. And after meeting me once, she told her father that God told her that she and I were to be married. And I said, well, I said to him, I said, well, you know, I'd, I'd like God to tell me that one. <laughs> I mean, every, there's all kinds of things that get passed off as God told me or a word from the Lord. We got to be so careful that we do not. Attri- but equally, do we need to be careful not to despise or scorn anything that does maybe come from God? And that's why God has given us the body of Christ. And brothers and sisters, in order to understand and walk together with. There's a woman by the name of Hannah Whittle Smith. She was a Quaker. We would not likely agree with all of her theology. But she said there were four ways that God reveals his will to us and guides us in our decisions. And I like them. She said that God leads through the scriptures, first of all. He leads through providential circumstances, the things that you just can't do anything about. He leads through the convictions of our own higher judgments, which is kind of like common sense, and through the inward impressions of the Holy Spirit upon our minds in prayer. When these four harmonize, she says, it is safe to say, God is speaking. Martin Luther gave the counsel on the subject by saying, if the Holy Spirit should come and begin to preach to your heart, giving you rich and enlightened thoughts, be quiet and listen to him who can talk better than you and note what he proclaims and write it down, journal, so you will experience miracles even as David did in Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. J.I. Packer, a theologian of the 20th century, still alive, that probably is head and shoulders above so many in terms of being a balanced biblical evangelical. Two different books says, 
keeps the tension in two different ways. He says in one book that God guides our minds as we think things out in his presence. I like that. God guides our minds as we think things out in his presence. But in another book, he says this. God may reveal himself and give guidance to his servants any way he pleases. It is not for us to set limits on God. But it remains a question as to whether or not we are entitled to expect hotline disclosures on a regular basis. Balance. So let's move on to the third point. To listen and to respond to the call of God. Once Samuel had been told by Eli that it was God calling him, he learned to listen and respond appropriately. There is a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. And in that passage, it says, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now, what is he talking about? It's mentioned three times in Hebrews 3 and 4. Well, it's quoting Psalm 95. Psalm 95 is quoting Exodus 17, an experience that Israel had in the wilderness when they tested the Lord, when they didn't obey God in a situation, and they grumbled against Moses, the leadership. And if you go back to that scripture in Exodus 17, Psalm 95, Hebrews 3 and 4, these things that are woven together across, if you will, the dispensations of all scripture and time, if you go to these scriptures, what is the kernel lesson or truth that God is getting through? It's a warning. It's a warning against hard-heartedness, unbelief that does not hear the Holy Spirit saying something to you in the moment, and this is where it comes from. It's found in the scripture in Exodus chapter 17 when the people of God said this. They said, is the Lord among us or not? That's what got God angry. That's what crippled their faith. That's what caused a leadership crisis. That's what caused discipline in the wilderness. It was when the people of God who had been led by God up till that point in so many miraculous ways, came to a point where they were hungry and thirsty in the wilderness, and they said, Is the Lord among us or not? You see, it's questioning, does God have the power to lead us, to speak to us, to direct our steps when we're going through difficult times? And so the writer says in in Exodus, in Psalms, in Hebrews, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, God speaks. God directs you. He's looking for soft hearts. Samuel, we see, had a soft heart. Samuel was one who did not doubt the presence of God. He lived in the presence of God. He knew that God would speak. And he got his, his ears used to listening to how God would lead him. And so it says that the Lord came and whispered his name twice or spoke his name, Samuel, Samuel. Six times in the scriptures I read of a times when God spoke someone's name twice. Six times I, I read in. And, and Samuel responds. It's kind of like Mary Magdalene or Mary the mother of Jesus responding in the first miracle Jesus did in Cana of Galilee in John chapter 2. And she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. That's good counsel. 
Do whatever he tells you. Well, finally, the fourth point is look forward to obeying the will of God. The prophecy that comes through in chapter 3, 11 to 21 is a difficult and hard message for Israel and especially for Eli's household, the priesthood. They'd been judged for mishandling the holy things. Next morning, Samuel gets up and he just wants to go about his business. He's afraid to tell Eli, but Eli makes him tell him the whole truth. Eli tells him the whole prophecy. Eli, Samuel tells him the whole prophecy. Eli responds by saying, he is the Lord. Let him do what is, is good in his own eyes. And then the conclusion of the matter comes in verses 19 to 21. It says, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up. He let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. First of all, notice that Samuel did not let any of God's words fall to the ground. This is a a word picture of saying that that whatever God tells me, I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to listen, I'm going to obey, even if it's a hard message to pass on. Secondly, it says that, that... Samuel was not a lone ranger prophet. It says that all the way from Dan to Beersheba, everybody in Israel confirmed and attested to, this man is called by God. And what he says is from God. And thirdly, notice that God revealed himself through his word to Samuel. And then Samuel's words became part of the word of God that we have. We must know that God reveals himself to us primarily through his word the scriptures. One last thing I want to say, and that is that if there is an earthly relationship that maybe helps us understand how God speaks and the intimacy that we are to have with God by the Holy Spirit living within us, it is the marriage relationship. There is no, there's no relationship on earth that is so incredibly intimate and personal. And And just as what goes on behind closed doors between a married couple is such intimate interaction that no one else is meant to really know, no one else is meant to clone it, no one else is meant to copy it, it is a private love language, it is a private interaction, it is an intimacy that is not to be for public display. So also I believe that we, in, through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit living within us, we can have such an intimacy with God that no one else is going to completely understand your intimacy with God. When Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about a time when he is told, he is told he's given such incredible revelations, he's caught up to the third heaven. And he said that he was not permitted by God to speak of these things. And in order that he would not become conceited, there was given to him a thorn in the flesh. And he would boast in the weakness rather than in the prideful revelation. You see, this was all about God revealing himself to Paul in intimate ways. And he was not meant to share that with the, for the edification of the body of Christ. It was somehow meant for Paul. We have a ton of what Paul was given in Scripture of the revelation that God gave to Paul, his letters. But there was some of what God experienced with Paul that was not meant for public display, even as marriages are meant to be that way. And so we must not, we must be slow to judge one another if we come at this 
thing called listening to God from two different extremities and continuums. We are the body of Christ. And God placed us together in the family of God so that we would indeed not fall off either side of the fence. But that we would listen collectively to the Lord speaking and leading us as a church family. As the worship team comes, lead in a final song. No, we're not going to sing in the garden. Though I'm still working at that song. We're going to sing another song that's just as as good. It's a prayer. It's Savior like a shepherd lead us. And before I have them come, I just want to say one thing. I wrote on the top of my manuscript, first page, I wrote these words. From the heart it comes, to the heart may it go. Those, Those words were first penned by Beethoven. Beethoven was struggling to write um, his uh, mass in D major, and it took him over a year to get it out, to get it out on paper, to get the score done. And so when he was done, he wrote at the top of the score, from the heart it comes, to the heart may it go. And I printed that because you might be falling over some of the words I spoke this morning, but I hope you hear the heart of the message. What is the heart? In the most simple terms I can state it, this is the heart of the message today. I hope you take this home. It is this, that God is looking for a people who will dwell in his presence, revere his lordship, listen to his voice, and obey him regardless of the cost.